Callum, thank you so much for joining us today on the UK Run Chat podcast. We're really excited to have you on. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and then we'll we'll get into a chat about your new book? Yeah. Hi, Michelle. Thank you. It's lovely, lovely to be here. So I uh, was founder of uh, Seymour Running Tours, which was a site running tour company taking people on runs around London. I have been running for, well, I kind of came to it quite late, so about 20 years or so. And uh, I'm now the author of the book called Roadrunner, Surviving on the Urban Trails, all about running in cities. Yeah, I have to say, I did, I really enjoyed your book. I read it a few weeks ago. Um, I am a self-confessed trail runner. I used to run on roads, started on roads, um, but um there's just so many beautiful trails near me. So I don't do much road running. And I thought when I picked up your book, I thought, oh, is he going to convince me that running in a city <laughs> is, is good fun? And I actually did. Um, so, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. What inspired you to to write a book about road running? Because there's so many trail running books out there, isn't there? I mean, I think that was part of the reason. You know, I love yeah. reading running literature. I love reading running books. They are they're always inspiring, I think. But most of them were people you know, trekking up fells in the Lake District or, you know, running through the Patagonian desert or all these kind of things, which are, which are, you know, lovely and beautiful. But uh, I mean, that's not where I run. You know, I live in, no. I live in London yeah. and I run in, run in the city. And I thought, you know, we just, we needed to redress the balance a bit. And, you know, I think, uh, I think it, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, either or it can be both and, you know, it's lovely to get out into the countryside and on occasions I will do that you know I think I have I've certainly run in in some wild places and some beautiful places but I just wanted to show that you know the city is just as beautiful as well in its in its own way and I think you know my the thing as well I love about city running is all the uh, advantages of being able to stop for a cup of coffee, you know. Yes, yeah, you don't get that in the countryside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was after you know years of running in the city and just seeing all these things and thinking, yeah, I want to kind of, I want to make sure other people know that you know it's not just the uh, the rural back roads that you can run on. Yeah, it was a fun book. And I think, I don't know, road running is, it's obviously accessible to the majority of people as well, isn't it? I think trail running, a lot of people just get a bit put off by it because they don't really want to go out into the wilderness as such. So I think I guess it appeals to a lot of people in that way. Yeah. And I guess, you know, to an extent you need to be, depending on the, uh, how far you're going trail running, you need to be a little bit more prepared in that you don't want to get stuck at the top of Helvellyn or something in a you know a, a storm and so I suppose you you're if you're doing it at that level at all you want to you know make sure you come back you know whereas you know running in the city you can always get the bus home you know yeah and and those kind of things so it is accessible and it is you know for me it's it's uh you know straight out my door you know so I, I like that immediacy of it and the, and the fact that you don't you know, if you, if you want to go for a run, you can just go. And yeah, I think that's true of most runners, right? You know, one of the joys of running as a sport is uh, you just put your trainers on and you're out the door. And maybe you want to, you know, stick a couple of gels in your in your pocket and put your iPad iPod on and stuff like that. But it's that, you know, that's one of the glories of, of running is you just go and do it. You know, you don't, yeah. you don't need to wait for other people. You don't need to wait for a team. You don't need any equipment, really. And I think a lot of runners 
when they start as well you know you're doing in your old tennis shoes or whatever you're doing in a a t-shirt you know before you get into things like actual you know trainers and uh moisture wicking fabrics and all those kind of things i think most people when they start just oh i just run around the block which you know was very much how i started running you know when i kind of got into it uh, as an adult it was with no no equipment and just like oh i'll just go around the block and see how it feels tell us about that first experience for you then how was it well it was I mean I think I think my story is probably not untypical in that uh I didn't I didn't run as a kid I was quite sporty as a kid and at school I played football and rugby and cricket and did a bit of athletics you know I was quite fast but in fact the one sport which was universally loathed was the cross-country run yeah wasn't it just yeah same at our school yeah, well, you know, I, I was at school in the 1980s uh, and games teachers then were pretty unreconstructed. It was a pretty brutal place. And they, you know, send us out on this route march across muddy fields, you know, and the, the, the games teacher in typical 1980s fashion would drive to the halfway point, get out of his car, be standing there, roll up in his mouth, shouting at you, you know. So everyone, everybody hated that. And so, you know, I didn't run a ten, a, again, really, until my late 20s, I think, something like that. And I honestly, I can't really remember what it was that inspired me just to put on a pair of trainers and run around the block. And that first run, you know, I came back absolutely exhausted after 10 minutes. But yeah, obviously something in it must have appealed because I went back and did it a couple of days later. And then, you know, within a few months, I'd signed up for 10K and uh, haven't really stopped. <laughs> so talk to us, before we get into the book, just talk to us a little bit about how, how you got into, because you do sight running tours now, don't you? Round uh, I, I mean, I did. Sadly, we, we were a victim of COVID and the business is, is shuttered now. Yeah. Well, <clears> but I was a teacher, teacher for many years uh, and uh, I, I quit that in 2016. Um, you know, I'd, I'd done it for a long time and I needed a break. And I had this idea of yeah, setting up a business. Um, I'm, you know, I'm quite interested in uh, history. I've taught a bit of history amongst other things. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in, you know, the history of London. Um, and so I, you know, combined that with the running. And, uh, you know, we set up a business where it was, yeah, sight running. It's, it's a very simple concept. You know, it's like sightseeing walking tours which are massive in you know all cities around the world have these wonderful walking tours but the idea was well you're going to see a lot more if you're going twice as fast you know and plus people get to have a bit of a run on holiday so we did we did a sort of central london one we had a a literary london one which sort of took in sort of famous you know sites of poets and artists and writers and stuff and we did a Hampstead Heath one, you know, which was lovely. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just kind of it was it was uh, it was good fun, and it was interesting. And uh, yeah, you know, so it's a kind of nice idea, sort of thing, you know, as a runner you want to do when you're on holiday. Yeah, it's a great way to explore. So there's a chapter in your book all about Paris, where you go on just a little. Well, it's not even a little running tour, is it? It's quite a long running tour <laughs> of Paris. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, how do you go about pl- planning a sightseeing 
trip like that on foot in a city that you don't know, where do you start? Well, something like that. I mean, that when I ran around Paris, it was, and, and this again for me is one of the absolute joys of the urban run, is I really didn't have a plan. You know, I kind of, I knew a bit of the geography of Paris. I'd been there a few times, but the the delight is, you know, getting lost. And it's, you know, it's kind of hard to do. It's a sort of funny funny paradox of wanting to get lost and purposefully getting lost. And it's harder and harder to do that in London, you know, because I've been here a long yeah. time. But that was on that occasion, yeah, I just, you know, I was, I think I was training at the time. I think I was, I, I can't remember if it was an ultra or a marathon I was training for. So I knew I needed a, a good day out. And it was, I think I did about 20 miles sort of circuit of Paris. But what I often do and what I did on that occasion is I had, I had like a couple of places I wanted to see. So I needed, I wanted to go and see um, Jim Morrison's grave in Père Lachaise. And there's this sort of rail, old disused railway, which has been turned into a park. It's a bit like there's a place in New York called the High Line, which is the same thing. And Paris has got its own version. And I thought, oh, that, you know, that's interesting. So I had those as sort of points on the route. And then I just, you know, just went and, and yeah. you know, ended up, well, I kind of ended up doing a sort of uh, a whole circuit. But that's, you know, that's that's what I love about urban running is, you know, you can get lost and you're pretty much always guaranteed to be able to find your way home, you know, even if it ends up being yeah. uh, <laughs> on a bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you often get lost around London then or do you kind of stick to a, a certain part of it? you know it really well i wish i could get lost in london it's it's you know i've been i've lived here for i wasn't i was was born in sussex in the countryside grew up in the countryside um and i think that's another part of why i like still find the urban run so enjoyable is that you know moved to london came to london um for university and there was nowhere else i wanted to be you know i just wanted to be here and it was so exciting um so i've lived in london for 30 years now and it's very hard to get lost because I, you know, I run all over it. I still get lost in South London. You know, I'm a, yeah. I'm a North Londoner and we have this bit of a, you know, ridiculous uh, kind of thing about sort of South v North London. So I, I don't go to South London that much. So I can still get lost there. But the, the joy of running and suddenly finding, oh, I don't quite know where I am now. It's, it's amazing. And, it, you know, usually within you know, fairly short period of time. Oh, I know where I am now. But I went yesterday, I went for my long run yesterday. I'm, I'm uh, in my training block for the, I'm doing the London Marathon this year. So I'm kind of doing, oh, wow, nice. doing a fair bit of running at the moment. Yeah. And I went for my long run yesterday. And I sort of had the vague idea of heading down to Chelsea, you know, it's a sort of fair way down in North London. And I ended up in uh, Chelsea Harbour. And now I've been there before, but I, I think the last time I've been there, I went for some sort of swanky lunch for my 21st birthday. And back then it was, you know, there was a couple of new bits of building totally transformed now. And it was, that was like being lost, even though I'd been there, it was like being in a, I had no idea where I was, you know, running around for a bit. And that was delightful, you know, and I sort of knew how I'd get back to where it was, but, but seeing an entirely new landscape was lovely. You know, I loved doing that. Yeah, I guess that's part of the beauty of a city, isn't it? I've got a similar experience with Manchester because I live very near Manchester now. When I was at 
university there and had a 12-year break from it and it's totally transformed it's right. it just looks completely different i guess you don't get that with the countryside really do you cities are constantly popping up with new roads new buildings yeah i mean i think that's that's definitely one of the things in um there's there's been my book where i kind of write about um you know comparing urban and, and rural running and lots of bits in my book are throwing because i've i've, I've I'm a teacher and I've taught philosophy and psychology and sociology. Those are my kind of areas. So I end up sort of, uh, you know, throwing in interesting little nuggets of those. And yeah. there's a nice bit from um, Edmund Burke, a philosopher, who writes all about what is beauty. Right? It's just quite deep stuff about how do we try to sort of pull apart when we see beautiful landscapes, what are we looking at? And he has this hierarchy of, you know, things which are massive are really beautiful or things which stretch into the horizon are beautiful or things, you know, the, the sort of uh, the high point of the sublime, he says, is like standing on top of something looking down. And, uh, you know, I get all that. And I was I was I was thinking about that, you know, when I was out, when I was you know doing this big urban run. But he also says. Um, and what's also really interesting is is change, you know, things which change. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's not mountains, though, is it? You know, mountains, not, they're, no. they're pretty much going to be the same every time yeah. you see them. And the thing about cities is, like you say, it's, it's dynamic and, you know, you turn your back 10 minutes and it's totally different. And I, I find that just uh, endlessly enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's those. I love the philosophical perspective in your book. Actually, I've just read a book um, all about. Um, it was a Robert McFarlane one, Mountains of the Mind, that was all about how nature inspires awe, and you really brought that across in how you know you're inspired by city landscapes. And I thought, actually, yeah, I've never considered that that could inspire awe in somebody, but it it does happen, doesn't it? And like it's you true. say, it's just about being there and thinking wow um, so right, it's, it's an entirely subjective thing and you know yeah. i have i com completely understand how you know the, the these beautiful countryside scenes can inspire awe, and i'm not you know immune to that i can certainly see that but it's very subjective and there's i i uh, there's there's a bit in the book where it talks about this this psychologist um a guy called uh, daka keltner who's whose work is all about awe you know understanding what happens to us in the presence of awe and he's got this he's got this lovely experiment that he runs or he's run where he'd he like stop people who i think he works at i don't know one of the universities in in california or something and and he had this experiment where he'd um they'd stop people and ask them a bunch of questions you know pretending it's sort of an interview but the real experiment is after the interview they have a stooge like walk past and accidentally drop their books and stuff. And they're interested to see if the, the participant, the person who's being doing the questionnaire, goes and helps them. You know, oh, you know, how do they feel? Will they go and help this person out? And they do this in two conditions. In one condition, they angle the person answering the questionnaire. So they're just looking at a brick wall. That's condition one. And in condition two, they haven't, so they're looking at this beautiful, huge oak tree or maple tree or something like that, you know with the idea that this is going to inspire some sort of awe, you know, this beauty and glory of nature. Anyway, the result is if the person's been staring at the beautiful tree, they're much more likely to go and help this person. And it's all about, you know, feelings of awe actually have all these incredibly powerful 
effects. And I thought that was really interesting as well, because he talks, you know, he talks a bit about the the sort of neuroscience behind this as well. What's what's going on in your brain and body? And there seems to be a change in your body chemistry which and there's a couple of like you know it was a one or two removes but does all these positive things and I was like making a link between you know these things and he talks about things like reducing inflammation and like oh okay that's got to be good for runners right you know and so any any exposure to awe whether it's in nature or in you know seeing a impressive building Potentially, you know, it's good for uh, good for us runners to recover as well. Yeah, d- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. Um, so your your book, one of the chapters actually contrasts your you're in America, aren't you? And you're you decide to do an an experiment of sorts and contrast like yeah. wilderness running with city running and somewhere kind of in between. So how, how did that go? Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that was firstly, you know, all the runs, there were three runs I did over a course of, you know, three days because we yeah. were traveling around and they were all fantastic. You know, first of all, how lucky to be able to do that. Um, one, the, the, the rural one was in Yosemite National Park, mm-hmm. you know, which is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And it's got these huge sort of mountains and you're in this beautiful valley and uh you know it was it was flat out lovely right but there's a little bit of it you know where i'm running through and i'm sort of looking at these mountains and i'm thinking well i've been to yosemite about you know 15 years before and it was lovely then but it was also identical and there's this tiny bit of me going yeah i mean okay it is beautiful but and then so then i did uh the next day we were traveling we were traveling uh, across california and i did a run in in fresno which is the i mean it's a you know sure it's a lovely city in california and we really just stopped off there uh for the day and i did a run there and it was a very weird little bit of town it was it was sort of deserted it was looked like it was very newly built it was an exceptionally hot day i mean i think i almost uh passed out with heat exhaustion but it was it was really eerie you know running through this uh clearly urban landscape but also entirely deserted so it was a little bit like being in yosemite in that you know there was no one else there and yet it was all built up that was just bizarre and then the following day I was in san francisco so i had this lovely early morning run through the middle of san francisco you know which is a full-on urban experience with chaos and you know all sorts of strange people the sort of people you only get you know in the middle of cities and uh just but you know very different and like i say they were all wonderful runs but uh, i think probably for me it was the, the san francisco run which was the uh the winner yeah the most interesting it's, yeah. it's funny you mentioned fresno you just reminded me of an experience i had in new york actually we and obviously when you arrive in new york you're very jet lagged so you're up early aren't you yeah yeah I remember getting up the first day after we arrived at about 4am and thinking, let's go, let's go and run to Central Park, to the same Times Square. And it was deserted. It was weird. There were just a few kind of people out cleaning the streets. And it just felt like I was on a film set. And that was just so bizarre. Um, but I think that's what puts me off running in cities. It's all the people. How yeah. do you deal with, especially in London, all the tourists and <laughs> just all the people? And are you constantly weaving I mean, you, yes. I mean, it depends where you go. You, you, I think one becomes fairly adept at knowing which places 
to avoid at particular times. You know, I love running on the south bank of Thames in London. Um, it's beautiful. You know, you've got the Thames and you've got, but that, that's crazy. You know, if you go at the weekend, there's a, there's a, there's a always phrase which always pops into my head. It's from a, a sociologist, a, a book called The Death and Life of Great American Cities. <clears throat> and the author talks about the uh, intricate sidewalk ballet of like, you know, <laughs> trying to get through that. And it is, you know. So I think, I think you sort of learn there's usually a back street, you know, there's usually a bit. And even simple things like just crossing, if I am down there, crossing Westminster Bridge, one side of Westminster Bridge, the side which is kind of closer to the sort of central London, is always crazy. The other side's empty. It's a bizarre okay. thing, because you, know, you, you wouldn't cross the road. You have to sort of go under the underpass. But just knowing, oh, just just run on, <laughs> run on the left-hand side of it, yeah. and, you know, it's actually fine. So you kind of, you, I guess you pick up things like that. Yeah, you know, I, I think, I mean, you said about being in New York when it's deserted, you know, that's, that's, cities can be incredibly different experiences, you know, summer to winter, morning to night, those kind of things. So, I mean, in New York, I mean, New York is just the most incredible place to run. How did you, did you go elsewhere other than Central Park? That was the only place we ran. We did a lot of sightseeing while yeah. we were there, but that was, I think that was the only run we did because we, yeah, it was kind of a multi-stop yeah um, <clears throat> holiday so we, we didn't have long there but yeah it's an incredible place amazing isn't it? yeah like you said yeah. it's like so you've done scene. the marathon there haven't you you've done the new york city marathon i did I, yeah i did that was you know very lucky it, they used to for the new york marathon they used to have a procedure where if you applied and you didn't get into the lottery you know like the london marathon yeah. like a lot of them and if you didn't get in three years in a row you got guaranteed a place for fourth year and they've stopped doing that now unfortunately but that, that's how i got in i you know i applied and applied and applied and then i got my my place I think that's you know that's one of my all-time favorite runs I think it was so uh so exciting you know just like you say every sort of every street was like being in a Martin Scorsese movie or something like that it was incredible and the crowds were amazing and it was bitterly cold you know it's November it's first weekend in November and it was sub-zero temperatures you know really really cold and, and we have the way they organize it they get everybody it starts out in staten island you know because it, yeah. it famously goes through all five boroughs so you start out in staten island and they have to bus you out there and the buses go quite early so anyway it ends up with you being stuck there i think i was there for about three hours waiting and there's no no other way to do it really so there was three hours of being absolutely fr frozen cold you know, I ended up shutting myself in a portal for an hour just to kind of keep warm. Yeah, exactly. Was no, that really the best option? I honestly was. I mean, to their credit, I will say, and you will know this as a runner, the shortage of portaloos at races is always a problem. Not in New York. The New York Marathon, I mean, they must have had thousands of them because I think there's, you know, it's like 30,000, 40,000 people do the New York Marathon, and there were no queues for the Portaloos anyway. It was incredible. I've never seen anything like it. And, like, you know, like I say, runners will know what, the, <laughs> what we mean yeah. by this. Um, but it did mean I had the chance to go and sit in a Portaloo and try and keep warm for an hour. But, that, I mean, that wasn't the highlight. I don't think the highlight was, <laughs> was running through the streets with these um, very, very um, uh, effusive supporters, you know, Americans – pretty all in on that kind of thing a yeah. lot, of, lot of 
whooping and hollering and foam fingers and bands and stuff like that and it was uh it was fantastic yeah really you know so very lucky to get to have done it really really good fun yeah fantastic which was your favorite bit to run through would you say I think I think the sort of early bit partly because I wasn't dying at that point you know I was still feeling pretty good first 10 miles of a marathon you're feeling like this is going to be easy how wrong I was (laughs) Um, but but kind of going through um through Brooklyn which I'd never been to you know I've been I've been I think to New York maybe once before and I've been to Manhattan which is what you know most people do and so this was a bit I'd never seen and it was yeah the the early the the start of it so I was feeling very good I'd warmed up a bit incredible crowds and uh just everything was new everything was you know that looks interesting I didn't recognize anything and then I had had an unfortunate mile 16 so as you as we crossed over into Manhattan you cross over right on the sort of uh the west side east side and I stopped and had a, uh, you know, one of the gels. They hand out gels and obviously, you know, and I took one. And for some unknown reason, I grabbed a chocolate flavoured gel. Now, I don't know about you, but I like my energy gel sort of fruity, bit citrusy, something refreshing. And I I still don't know what made me think, oh, yeah, chocolate, that's a good idea. And it, it upset me for the next couple of miles. It was not pretty. But, oh, um, you know, I recovered. Um, so that was, that was those were high points and low points, I think. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound very, very pleasant. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, yeah, well, that's um, let's go back to London then. So you have now this challenge that you did in London to run the London underground lines, but run them overground really yes, fast. To be clear, yeah, yeah. So you cover quite a few lines in your book don't you in various chapters um but that's a huge challenge well I mean yeah you say that I took a very sort of um easygoing approach to it now I I I just you know I was looking for sort of interesting things to do so you know I've done a few marathons and I've done a few ultras and I wanted a sort of bespoke challenge you know something that was I love doing big races love doing organized races but this was I will go and do it on my own and I thought, yeah, you know, I live in London, seems like a good thing. Uh, and I did a bit of sort of, you know, searching online. It didn't look like, you know, I've had a couple of people who'd done this, but it wasn't as popular as I'm. I guess it's it's quite a long way. Yeah. But I took a very sort of I'm going to do this on my own terms approach to it um, to the point where I haven't done them all. You know, it's an ongoing project. I did. I think I've done six of them. Um, and I started off with with the little ones, you know, so I think uh, like the Victoria line, I think was the first one I did. So it's about 12 miles. You know, it's a it's a good, good run, but it's, it was certainly within my capabilities. And then I gradually expanded them. But I also I wasn't going to be sort of particularly pressured to actually pass every single station. I thought I could get caught up in, you know difficult routes where you got to run back on yourself and some of the branches you know you've got branches going different directions so it's like do I run down and go back up again I'm like no I'm just going to start one end roughly follow it get to the other um and and then so that's what I did and you know that's lovely and the nice thing about that again is it, it took me out to bits of London I didn't know you know because obviously the start and the end of the the lines are right out on the edges of London so it often you know I think the the longest one which I didn't quite manage was the central line, which is forty miles. Um, 
I, you know, I had to call that one at about 27, 28 miles. But it started, um, I mean, I was, I was in the countryside, you know, there were fields and cows and I was like, wow, the tube line goes out this far. So that was, you know, it's quite a nice surprise. Um, I recently, you know, I kind of did this as a, as a guy I follow on Instagram called Johnny Davis. Now he's recently um, done this properly. He, he did all, every single station in 11 days. I did mine over like months, <laughs> you know, I took That's amazing. Right. And he's, you know, he raised a load of money for charity and, uh, he, you know, it's fantastic. So he really did plan it out every single stop, one line a day and did the whole thing. So, you know, in comparison, mine is a relatively a, a mediocre challenge, but it's just that, you know, finding interesting things to do that. That's why I did it. And I've yeah, done I, I liked it because I thought it was it was unique and I thought that's a great challenge to kind of get you out there and keep you motivated, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that's that's we all need that from time to time. Yeah. You know, um, not everybody wants to run every single day. And I I found, you know, one of the things one of there's a nice um, there's a nice uh, term in psychology called a commitment device you know, which is uh, a sort of thing they talk about in habit forming. You know, you you tie something you don't want to do in with something you do want to do. And then you yeah. say, like, I'm only going to do this thing if I do this other thing. So if I'm not really feeling like a run, one of the things I will do is I will tie it in with, and, and again, this is the joy of running in cities, I'll tie it in with a visit somewhere. And it might be to a particular favourite food truck or something. So like, right, I'm going to do this run. I'm going to end up at this food truck where they do these fantastic you know, burgers or whatever, or I'll I'll tie it in with, you know, going to a museum or something, or even just like a, a kind of errand I've got to do, like, you know, I've yeah. got to pick up this thing, so I'll run there, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's a nice thing where you can create a little uh, a reason to go for a run on those, those days we all feel sometimes where it's like, oh, I don't really want to go today. And that, you know, that, that was the idea behind the uh tube line runs really it was like okay this gives me a little purpose i suppose yeah because was the was the central line <clears throat> was that your first attempt at kind of a beyond marathon distance at the ultra distance run it, it was on on those runs it wasn't the first ultra i'd done so I, I, my my very first ultra was i'd signed up for what was um i've stopped doing it now is it was called the royal parks ultra so the royal parks had this lovely run in london a half marathon um, every October and it's you know it's, it starts in Hyde Park in London and goes through a bunch of it's beautiful it's really nice it's in October it's a really well supported thing and for a few years they set up and ran um, uh, an ultra so 50k what, what we probably call an entry level ultra you know yeah. so it's only about five miles longer than a marathon that was my very first ultra and that was lovely that was so well that was such a good introduction to it it was so well supported um, it was only about 200 of us doing it. This was, you know, a few years ago now, ultras have become, you know, we're, we're catching up on America in terms of their popularity for a long time here. It was a real niche thing, right? You know, it was only yeah. kind of a, a real elite group of people. And and when I did this Royal Parks Ultra, so there's only 200 of us, you know, you get far more people now and there's lots and lots of them. Um, but that was my first over over marathon distance one. Uh, and again, you know, you just you kind of oh, okay. Well, I can do that. Maybe, I, maybe I can go a bit further. You know, it's it's a bit. Well, you'll know it's a bit uh, addictive, isn't it? You know, it is. Yeah, yeah. Because you you of course went on to run 
you, yeah, you ran from London to Brighton, didn't you? I did. That's that's been that's certainly been my longest. And honestly, uh, a I don't know how I managed it. I'm pretty sure I'll never do that again. It was a, that, that was is a long way. How, it was how, hundred kilometers. Yeah, it yeah. was you know so sixty two miles, and it was I'd, I'd signed up. So I'd signed up to do a hundred kilometer ultra. Um, it was one of these. Um, it was a Thames Path one actually. It was a kind of organised one. So this was a, a few years ago. It was it was planned as a um, sort of celebration of turning fifty. Right, this is what I was going to do, and I signed up for it. And it, then it was in the middle of twenty twenty. It was COVID, so it was all all cancelled. And I'd done all my training, and I was like, oh no, you know, I've been I've been actually. It's first time I've ever followed a training plan. <laughs> Normally, I'm like, I'll just go out and run a few times. I'll be fine. And usually it is. But I thought 100 kilometers, better take this seriously. So I followed a proper training plan. I was running four times a week, you know, doing these big, long runs every weekend. And then it was called off. And I was, you know, I had a sort of real, I don't know, half a day or so, really feeling quite low. And like, oh, my God, this. I, mean, I suppose it was all bound up with what was going on generally. Yeah. And then I thought I had this sort of revelation, like, well, I could just go and do it anyway. You know, I could just go and go and run. And it's, you know, I'll probably need a bit of support. And, uh, I, you know, I got out Google Maps and I had a look. I thought, well, look, maybe I could run down to Brighton. I'm, that's where I'm from originally. I grew up in Sussex and I went to school in Brighton. And I thought that'd be a nice sort of thing. And I looked on Google Maps and it was like it was meant to be from my door in North London to Brighton Pier was like almost exactly 100 kilometres. It was perfect. And I thought, yeah, OK, we'll do it. And so so that's what I did. So, you know, just uh, just before I turned 50, I ran ran from London to Brighton, uh, which was, you know, like I say, I don't know how I managed to do it. The thought of I'll go out for a run now, you know, and I'll do sort of 15, 20 miles and then right, that's me done. I can't go another step. So I don't know what it was. I suppose it was just because I you know, have been training for it. You know, that's, yeah, that's you me. had that motivation there, didn't you? And I guess that connection to Brighton, that's, yeah. you know, that's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. And it was, you know, I think the thing, the thing about ultras, it's not a secret. You know, you just do a lot of training and then on the day, you just keep going one foot in front of the other. There's a nice, there's one of those books that I've read, which was mostly set in the urban wilderness. It's called Relentless Forward Progress. You know, and that's why it's marathon running. It's ultra money. You just, just keep going. You know, yeah. So uh, that, that reminds me, actually, talking about ultra running. You, you, the forward to your book is written by a very famous Carno. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's got. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you how I got in touch with him. But he's got a lovely phrase, which is something like, uh, "Run while you can, walk when you have to, crawl if you must, but never give up." You know. How did you get the the great Dean Carnazes? I mean, really, just, he's just he's just such a lovely, generous bloke. Yeah. I literally, I think I, I think I'd kind of connected with him on on um, Instagram a couple of times, you know, commented on stuff, and he, you know, he'll often sort of say he'll reply and stuff. You know, he's very sort of generous with his time. And then uh, I just I sent him a copy. You know, I sent him a sort of early draft of it, manuscript of it, and I I sort of. I'd had this, I'd sent it to a few people. And again, I'd had this sort of idea borrowed from psychology about um, how you can sort of encourage people to do the things you want. This is, there's this very famous book in social psychology by a, a guy called uh, Robert Cialdini, and it's called Influence. And it was one of these books he wrote all about how, you know, unscrupulous salespeople get you to do things. And he wrote it, this guy wrote it from the point of view of, 
trying to show you what they do so that you can be guarded against it. And now, ironically, he points out that it's now like uh, must have reading of all unscrupulous salespeople. So it's kind of backfired. But he has this technique he calls the um, door in the face technique, you know, which I'm sure all salespeople will be nodding along to. And, and you make a request which is bigger than the request you want. And so when somebody turns you down, you then make them the, the smaller request that you want. And so anyway, so I kind of had this idea and it's a, it felt a little bit sneaky, but I sent it out saying, oh, you know, it'd be really lovely if you could write the foreword to my book, thinking he'd probably say, no, I haven't got time for that. And then I'd say, well, maybe just like a quote for the back cover, something like that. But he's like, yeah, fine, I'll write the foreword. He read it and he loved it. And he's like, yeah, I'll happily do that. I mean, what a lovely guy. You know, he's... He's obviously pretty busy. Whenever you see him on, I follow him on Instagram, obviously, and he's always, you know, around the world and doing these incredible things. But he was just very generous, and and obviously, I say, really liked it, and uh, and and offered me this lovely forward for it. So I'm a huge fan of his, and in fact, I think, uh, you know, his his first book, which is called Ultra Marathon Man. There's a, a little story in there which I think really inspired me which was, you know, talking about where he'd gone for a run, all-night run with his one of his kind of buddies, and they'd been running through San Francisco, and they'd, like, stop at this bar and drink tequila. And I'm like, that's insane. You can't do that on your running. But, you know, it's just like, that's the fun of the urban run. You just stop, have a little drink, and then they went and did another 20 miles. And it was that sort of... Uh, the run can be whatever you want it to be, right? It's your run, do it the way you want. If you want to stop and go home, you can. If you want to change direction, if you want to do a bit of shopping, if you want to stop and have a tequila. And I found that such a sort of liberating thing. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, Carnot's. I think he's an absolute inspiration. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. It sounds like you've both got a very similar philosophy yeah, towards yeah. running as well. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Just talking about food briefly, you do, you do, like to stop for tacos and things don't you and you have kind of pointed out in your book some of the best places that people can eat Where, where's your favorite in london oh yeah in london i mean one of the we we're talking about how uh lovely it is where everything's dynamic and changing in cities the other side of that is you'll find a fantastic place to eat and then you'll go back and it's shut down you know i think a, a lot of uh, a lot of uh restaurants don't last i think i've uh I've, I've got into a habit. I've got into a particular period of eating um, these Vietnamese sandwiches called Ban Mi, which I just absolutely love. They're they're a little bit heavy, you know, for a run. It's French bread packed full of mostly sort of vegetables and chili and, and a bit of pate and stuff. So I would find myself dotting around different Vietnamese restaurants in London, trying trying to find those. <clears throat> you know, often it will be. You know, you can't move in, in London. I'm sure it's true in Manchester as well for, you know, a little pop-up village of food trucks appearing. So you'll often just run across somewhere. And uh, it will it will depend how the mood takes me, I think. You know, sometimes I've got quite good over the years, uh, you know, uh, and again, I think most runners will develop this ability to know what you can handle in terms of food at any given point. Sometimes you just want water, Lucasade and the gel, you know, on a long run, something a bit heavier might might work. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, I think you uh, you develop those sort of things. And, and that's another thing about you know running in different cities. You know, I think uh, finding whatever other interesting food spots 
in in different cities. But also, you know, what I've, a couple of times I've stopped somewhere. This happened just the other week, and uh, you you know, be buying something, and and the person selling will look at you, sort of, you know, sweaty and red faced, and and they'll be like, "Oh, you're out for a run," and you're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Oh, have you come far?" And they'll be usually like, "Yeah, I've just you know, run twenty miles or whatever." And they'll be like, oh, okay, have some extra stuff. And, the, you know, this happened the other day. I'm like, I'll have the small falafel pitta. And this guy's like, you've run how far? All right, have a large one. Have some extra halloumi. It's all on me. I'm like, okay. So, you know, there's that, that kind of nice sort of uh, interaction as well I quite like. Yeah, oh, that's nice. Um, talk to me be- before we, we kind of wind up just about the concept of place hacking in a city. This, this chapter fascinated me because in the countryside we see – more kind of open land being enclosed it had never occurred to me that this was an issue in cities actually yeah i mean absolutely that's such an interesting analogy you know because i'm sure you you know i'm kind of very interested in in that sort of way that paths rights of way in the countryside and there's obviously that sort of famous kinder scout thing years ago with people you know making a stand against that um and it is less obvious in the cities you're right but it's something that you know i notice a lot where a place you ran down before, suddenly you can't go down there. Or, you know, there'll literally be some guy in a high-vis jacket with a clipboard saying, you know, you've got to go around. And, it, you know, it became apparent to me that virtually everywhere in the city is owned by, you know, maybe by the council, but often by a big corporation or, you know, whatever. And, and we're often <clears throat> running around, you know, basically with their say-so. And sometimes they're like, no, not anymore. And I was reading about this, and there's there's this movement called place hacking, you know, and it's uh, it's people who make a point of finding these places. Sometimes there's various incarnations of it, you know. It's it's a sort of um, it is an academic discipline. I think it's what the sociologists call edge work. It's like you know a slightly sketchy looking yeah. at the edge of society stuff, and it's it's about. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of urban geography and uh, economics and all these things tangled together about well, who, who does own it and what should we do about it. And this place hacking movement is people who've taken a very uh, practical, you know, uh, way of dealing with this and just gone out. And it's, you know, there are times where it crosses over into probably a little bit criminal in terms of breaking into places. Now, you know, to be clear, I've never I've never done that. I've taken opportunities and advantages if I found a door which perhaps is supposed to be locked open and I might wander through and have a look. And and these kind of serious place hacking guys, they're often like going up on the top of buildings and down into sewers. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that, really. But I love the idea of, you know, treating the, the city as a bit of a playground. Right. And let's, you know, let's let's see where we can go. And, you know, often. I think it's, I mean, there's a sort of political point a bit, but it's just fun, right? You know, uh, seeing if if you can go down. I mean, I've got trapped in a couple of places. I end up running around. Um, there's this Inns of Court in London where all the sort of barristers and stuff are. There's yeah. a big area that beautiful, you know, it was incredible old buildings. And I ended up running in there. And I'd obviously come through a door I wasn't supposed to because um, I couldn't find my way out again. That's would like jump over a wall. And another time, there's this lovely, um, beautiful landscaped garden in just south of Regent's Park. Um, and I'd run past it a hundred times. And it's one of those, you know, locked only for residents in these incredibly expensive, huge Georgian terrace houses. 
And I'd run past this little bit. Why can't I go in there? You know, why is it just for the rich people who can go in there? <laughs> and I'd run past this. And then there's a door there. And I'd occasionally try it. Uh, and it was always locked. And then this one time it wasn't. <clears throat> and it was open. I'm like, oh, fantastic. I'm in. And I had this lovely run. And it was absolutely beautiful. It was beautiful landscape gardens. And then I remembered I'd read this story about there being this secret tunnel from these gardens which goes under the marrowbone road this huge you know really busy road and up on the other side and there it was i found it's called nursemaid's tunnel and it was built in victorian times exactly for you know the nursemaids of posh people to go under the road so they wouldn't get run down by a horse and cart whatever and it was like it was it never been touched it had these gas lamps and this <clears throat> victorian tiling <clears throat> and it was all like why aren't we allowed to see this it's beautiful but then, same thing, I couldn't get out. I went back to the gate, and obviously someone had come in and shut it. And, you know, there's no way of climbing over the fences here. It's clearly designed, well, to keep people out, but also, as it turned, to keep people in. Uh, and so then I was running around for five minutes thinking, what am I going to do here? I mean, there were a few people in there, but I didn't really want to say, excuse me, I've come in here and I'm not supposed to. Can you let me out? And eventually I sort of spotted someone heading to the exit and just ran in behind them and said, hold the door, please, and walked past. So, you know, it's not without its perils, but I felt like a little victory. When I, when oh, I yeah, that's quite that. exciting. Yeah, and, yeah. and you never would have found that tunnel, would you? Exactly, right. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, there are some funny moments in your book, actually. I mean, what's, what's probably the most memorable or most humorous moment that you can think of well it's humorous now at the time it was it was very much not humorous <laughs> but i think it's probably one of the funniest moments certainly for other people and it was when i was it was when i think i was training for my first ultra so i was you know i was doing sort of like running and i was doing hill work and stuff and uh, i live very near muzzle hill very steep hill in north london and i was i was well i was running up that and it's you know it's kind of a good five minutes to run up it i got to the top and i was you know walking back down and then I started picking up the pace again anyway something happened which I was absolutely convinced only ever happened in cartoons and as I was coming back down I saw this group of workmen standing around chatting I obviously hadn't seen them on the way up I'd had been head down I'd gone past them on the outside and I sort of I was picking up the pace a bit and I thought I'll just you know chart my little in my mentally I charted my route through the middle of them and as I passed the first one I just caught a glimpse of his face, you know, mouth open, eyes wide, which at the time I just thought, oh, he's impressed with my form and speed. And then only afterwards realised was a look of absolute horror about what was about to happen. And suddenly I wasn't running anymore. I was going sideways. I was flat. And I had run headlong into his massive four metre square bath of wet concrete which presumably they were supposed to be warning people not to step into, but they were chatting away. And there I was lying in this huge bath of concrete, just like, what happened? What? Oh, okay. And I got up and I don't think any of us said anything. They were just like these four guys were just looking at me with sort of horror and like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I, I can't even remember if I just said uh, thanks or, you know, good job or whatever. And just carried on down the hill, dripping with concrete. I had to throw my trainers. Everything else, right? I had to I had to get rid of the trainers. I mean, it was fine, but you know, at the time, it was it was quite a shock. Quite a good wow. story to tell now, though. Yeah, <laughs> because it wasn't a bigger hole. Yeah, you were lucky, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, gosh. Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you, Callum. It's been absolutely fascinating chatting to you. And you. It's I didn't want to give too much away about the book, but hopefully it's um, it's piqued people's interests to go and have a read because I, I certainly enjoyed it. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. So what have you got coming up next apart from London Marathon? Anything else? I don't know. Yes, I'm doing the London Marathon in April. I did, I've got um I was halfway through a sort of one of these bespoke runs where I was doing uh across London side to side up and down so I did you know from M25 to M25 so I did west to east um last summer I think so I got the tube right out to uh Uxbridge or something you know where the M25 was and ran right across which is about 35 miles so again a sort of good day out and then I wanted to do north to south. I haven't done that yet. So I think it's about the same. So again, you know, get the train up to wherever the M25 starts and just uh, go right down from top to bottom. And I'm I'm kind of vaguely thinking as well about doing a sequel to the book, which will just be city runs around the world. So, you know, I think it could take a quite a while. I don't travel yeah. that often, but <laughs> I'm off to Copenhagen in a few weeks. I'll do a run around there. So I've got the idea that I'll gradually try and build up you know, if I do travel, I'll do a run for every city I go to. So that's that's the plan. Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, you must let us know about that. We'll look out for Certainly. it. Certainly. So your your book is called Roadrunner Surviving on the Urban Trails by Callum Jacobs. And where can, people, where can people find it? It's available in Amazon and all good bookstores, as they that's say. Cool. And where can people find you on socials, Callum, if they want to find you? I'm just on Instagram. Adventure. I'm the Urban Trail Runner on Instagram. Fantastic. Well, I really hope you've all enjoyed listening to this episode. Um, and all the best, Callum. Thanks again. Thank you very much.